0: The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 1 through 13. Uh, follow along with me as I read this this morning. We'll we'll dive right in. It says, "For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly," by the working of his power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, whom created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So the way we're gonna look at this uh, this morning together is first we're gonna try to answer the question in this passage, what is God doing? How is God doing this? But also then what are the ramifications of this? And so we're going to take our time to go uh, through that uh, today. First question is, what is God doing? I think we see the answer to this in verses 1 through 6. And the answer is he's revealing himself to a broken world. That is what God is doing. That is what God has been doing. History seems to play out in two ways. And we see it as two ways. Uh, When I would go to school, I would learn about what I'm going to call secular history. I would sit in history class and I would, I would learn about all the things that have happened throughout our history. I remember having history class focused just on Michigan in a certain grade. Then I'd have class focused on the United States or then world, all these different things. Uh, we had these different classes. But then I would come to church and I would seem to learn about a different history all of a sudden. I would learn about something totally different where I, w- I wasn't hearing about the same history I was hearing about in school. It was something different. And when I went to school, I didn't hear about the history that I was learning in church. There seemed to be these two, these two separate histories. And oftentimes, people seem to think about it in that way. And we can easily think about it that way. Yet what we see in the Bible is we see that the Bible uh, plays a huge part in history. Uh, whether you go to the secular or in the church, I mean, even the way that we designate our time is according to Scripture, before Christ, and then A.D., according to our Lord, And so it actually, the Bible, of course, has played a very important key role in history. The Bible actually points out that all of the past, all of the present, all of the future hinges on God and his word. And that's something important for us to remember. That's something that we have to think about. All of history hinges on God and his word. It is all wrapped up in this. And one of the things that I think we see mankind doing, in fact, I'll say I think it is the thing we see mankind doing, is mankind is trying to reconcile ourselves, themselves, with all things. That is what man is trying to do. We continue to try to reconcile ourselves to something. Some people don't have an answer for what they're trying to reconcile themselves to or what they're trying to work towards, but we're all trying to work towards something. All of history is doing that. Greatness, power, money, esteem, whatever it might be. We're trying to do this. And so what the Bible does is the Bible shows us that history has always been and always will be about God revealing himself to a broken people, revealing himself to a broken world. And we see this right off the bat in scripture because when we go to Genesis, Genesis chapter three, verses eight through 13 is what I'm gonna read for you here in a moment. You don't have to turn there if you don't want, you can just listen. But what we see happening here in this garden is we see sin coming into the world and as a result, we see an alienation happening. Between man and God, but also man and man, between mankind. And so Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, this is what it says And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Right away after sin comes into, comes into the world, we see alienation taking place all over. But Between God and Adam, we see an alienation because of nakedness. He, he was used to going into the garden and, and the Lord would walk with Adam and Eve. And now all of a sudden there was an alienation there where Adam is hiding in himself. And when God calls out, he says, the reason I'm hiding is because I'm naked. And God's like, well, how do you know that? How do you know you're naked, right? All of a sudden, God knows that sin has happened. And there's a separation there between God and man. But then when God presses Adam a little bit, what does Adam do? Because of his sin, he alienates himself from his wife. It's that woman you gave me. She gave me food to eat. She, she gave this to me. And now because of sin, there is an alienation between husband and wife. And really, it's an example of an alienation between mankind. Well, then when God works his way down the ladder a little bit, he goes to Eve, doesn't he? And what does Eve say? It's that creation that you made. It's because of your creation that I sin. It, it, it's, it's creation. So now we see an alienation, not just between man and man, not just between man and God, but we see an alienation between man and creation and nature, just in general. We see an alienation there because of, because of sin. And so what we do is we find all of ourselves very early on in Genesis and still even today that we all are our own little individuals on our own little island of innocence. And because of our innocence, we are alienated from everybody else because I'm not as bad as them. In fact, they're horrible. I'm good. And so we all live on our own little island of alienation all by ourselves, and nobody's allowed to creep in. And so we see very early on that brokenness and alienation actually was not meant to be. This was not the purpose in creation. This is not how it was set forth when God said all is good. It wasn't broken, and there was no alienation at all. And so what we see in the rest of scripture is we see God solving this problem because man cannot solve it. We try to solve it. We learn this in our history books. We try to solve this problem of how to reconcile everything back. And it's just not possible for us to do. And so in the passages that we read, we see that God has done this. God has solved our alienation problem and he has done it through his son, Jesus. And so what Paul reiterates at the beginning of of chapter three of what we've already talked about in these other chapters is we see that God has brought together Jew and Gentile together as fellow heirs in Christ. He says they are of the same body as well. You see this in verse six. It says the mystery is that the Gentiles are number one, fellow heirs. Number two, members of the same body. And number three, Are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What God has done is He has brought together the alienated through the blood of Christ. The sin that has once separated all of us Jew, Gentile, you can keep naming it if you want to. Specifically, Paul's speaking here of the Jew Gentile divide. But the sin that has separated all of us from God and that has separated all of us from others and even separated us from creation itself has been dealt with by the cross. And we see that in the Bible. And that's why I say all of history hinges on God and his word, all of it. Because mankind's problem is the brokenness and the alienation. And if we try to solve that on our own, all we see is destruction. I mean, you can go to the Tower of Babel. That's what they were trying to do in the Tower of Babel in Genesis. We're gonna solve this problem. We'll build the tower all the way up to God. I mean, we'll talk to him face to face if we have to do that. Well, that was a problem. They couldn't do that. They couldn't do that. They couldn't solve that problem. Empires after empires have come to try to solve the problems of what can be done, what must take place. And it all falls short. It all fails. Even the great American experiment that we're all a part of, that we've all benefited from, that we would say we think is the best. Many of us would say that. We think it is the best. Or the word democracy or whatever you want to use. I'll I'll just tell you the truth. It doesn't work. It's not going to work in the end. And there's a reason for that. We're broken. We are broken people. And what we are in desperate need of is a king or a savior or a messiah or a lord who is 100% perfect in all areas of life who is 100% perfect in all things, who can lead us, who can guide us, who can direct us, and who can save us. That is what mankind needs. And that's what mankind has been given in Jesus. That's what we've been given. And so that is why we can be brought together. That is is what God is doing. So the next question then, well then, how is he doing this? How, How is God doing this? Well, Paul speaks of this in verses one through nine. And then also in verse 10. First of all, he's done this through the apostles. Paul talks here, and he says how he was given a special calling. He was given a special task as an apostle. And I want to make note of this. You cannot leave here today saying that you have been given the task of apostle. That doesn't exist anymore. That was a very particular, special task called to a very few men that was given that title by the Lord themselves and given revelation. And now, thankfully, because of those men, we have this book. And we're able to read what God has had them write down for us. And Paul was one of those such men because he even says in there, I was given a revelation, right, by God, not by men of what is happening here. And so Paul here is saying, I am an apostle, and God is moving through us, the apostles. And this was a calling that Paul took extremely seriously. In fact, he's, he's, ta- he's talking to a church who is troubled right now because Paul, who they look to, is in jail. Why? Because of them. He's in jail because he is willing to risk his life to be on mission to share the gospel with the Gentiles. The good news that God has restored this world through Jesus Christ. And you're part of it. You can be included in this. But he takes this this calling very seriously and now he finds himself in jail because of it. He found his calling to be a joy in his life. Why? Because of the grace of God. And this was very important to me, I felt, as I was reading this and as I was studying this. Because there really is a great irony here for Paul. We've talked about this extensively. I don't need to stay on it. But it was just a few years prior to this, Paul would have hated all the Gentiles would have despised every single one of them. And now God has called him and has changed his life to he is going and now he's in prison because of them. And there's this great irony in it. And Paul, when you, when you read this section, he is just marveling in the grace that God has given him. Look at, look at verse seven. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. It's amazing. If I'm in jail because of you, the last thing I'm gonna call you is grace. This is great grace that God has given me that I can do this for you. But God has changed his life so much. He's just marveling at the grace of God of what he has done for him through Jesus. That even in a horrible situation of finding himself in prison, he's just saying, look at the great grace of God that has me where I am. I find it a joy to be able to minister to you. I find it a joy to be able to be the one that God has called to do this work. And so we just find Paul here just marveling at the great grace of God. As I mentioned before, Paul was given a special revelation there in verse three. He talks about that and how God used Paul to speak to these people about what God was doing through Jesus, not just to the churches in that moment. And that's who Paul was speaking to. But it's important for us to to know this Speaking to us too today, we don't just have some letters in this book and we have to be careful with this where we take this this Bible and we think of it just as maybe some letters that were to some particular churches and we're just kind of peeking into what was being said there. No, there is ample evidence all throughout the Bible that as Paul is writing this, he knows it's scripture for the churches for generations to come. Same with Peter. I mean, Peter even mentions that about Paul's writings Uh, later on. But we see here how God would use Paul, how God would use the apostles for this special work that was needed for the foundation to be laid. And we talked about that last week, the foundation that the apostles and the prophets laid before us. And so the first way that, that we see God doing this work, revealing himself to a broken world and saving a broken world is he's using the apostles here in this passage. But in verse 10, it speaks of something else. Paul says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So how is God doing this work? How is God getting this, work, this word out? Well, the apostles, but now also we see in verse 10, through the church. Although we do not hold Paul's position, and I don't wanna even think for a moment that we do, we can still learn from his example. We can still learn from what is happening here, and we can do this in two ways. First of all is this, by the continuation of teaching God's word. As we continue in this work that God has put for us as the church, we, can, we continue teaching the word of God just like Paul was doing. And I'm actually going to take all of you off of the hook this morning as I talk about this section, and I'm going to place it squarely on my shoulders and the pastor's shoulders in this church. And so if you want to take a breather, go ahead. But listen, because you will hold us accountable to this, I believe. So for the church, we are called to continue teaching God's word and being faithful in that. And we see Paul do this in a few ways. First of all, if we are going to teach the word of God, if us as pastors are gonna teach the word of God faithfully as we've been called to do, we need to first and foremost be wowed by the grace of God just like Paul was. Above all things, he stood amazed at grace over and over and over again. Kind of being like, I can't imagine by God's goodness I'm here. <laughs> this is unreal that God would do this for me, to put me here. Now you remember he's in jail. But to say, for Paul, thinking about I was going in this direction. I thought I was living just zealously for God, just on fire for God, going in this direction, then all of a sudden I have this encounter on this road with with God, with the Lord. And what did he do? He changed it drastically. To where I'm no longer going that way, I am now going this way. And I thank God for that because Paul knew that his way led to destruction. It led to destruction and it was only by God's great grace that he had set Paul straight and put him on an actual mission for him, for God. And so Paul is just amazed by this. And I believe pastors need to continue to be amazed by the grace of God, not just in word, but in deed. And in action. The second thing that is important for those who are going to teach God's word is you need to understand the message of Christ. If you're called to teach it, you should know it. It is very scary for me every week to come up here and to think of the passage that tells me you will be judged off of what you teach. What you preach in this pulpit in a moment, you will be judged for every single thing you say and how you lead my people. That's what God says in his word. And so if I'm going to stand up here and to teach God's word, I better know God's word. I better say it and study it and understand it and grasp it and then do my best to relay it to you, that which I have seen and heard and taught and understood. And so we need to know it. And, it, and it's so important because of verse eight of what Paul says when he's talking about the word of God, he talks about it as the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. If there is anything in all of history that I could give you that could be given to this world, the best thing that can be given is the unsearchable riches of Christ. And what the church has been given, the task that the church has been given, and what pastors have been given, is to stand in pulpits and to declare that to people, to share that with people. And so it is an important, important task. My heart was actually broken this week as I was in a meeting with pastors. And I come to find out that there are some pastors who don't want to associate with churches whose pastors have went to school because they think education is bad. They think education is wrong. And so when you talk to these pastors, you say, well, then what do you do when you preach? I just go up and I read and whatever the Holy Spirit tells me to say, I'm gonna say. That's a problem. That's a problem. I have an issue with that. If this is the unsearchable riches of God and you tell me you don't want to study it, you tell me you don't want to know what it actually says, you're just going to pick and choose some verses and then rant and rave about it, I don't want to be associated with you. I can't be in connection with you because the Bible tells me something drastically, drastically different here. That I am held accountable for everything I teach and it is the greatest thing to actually teach about and so then I must know it. And on top of that, I think verse nine speaks to this. Paul says, and to bring to light for everyone, what is the plan? It is then my job as I stand here and preach, and it is your job if you're gonna stand and teach God's word, to be able to bring to light the message of Christ. To be able to explain it in a way that is understandable. To be able to teach it in a way that people can grasp, can understand, and can know. Now I know this is gonna sound like a really silly example, but it would be ridiculous for me to come up here this morning and speak in Spanish to all of you. To say, I'm, I'm going to share the word of God, but I'm going to do it in Spanish today. And you know what? If the Holy Spirit is real, he'll still work in your life for it. That'd be foolish. I live in America. I live in a place where most of us speak English and that is what we need to speak. Why? Because it, it makes sense to you. Again, I say, I say that analogy is, is kind of weird but I have to be able to relay this message that when I talk to most Christians and talk to them about reading their Bible, what do they say? This is confusing to me. This is confusing. I'm not sure I'm grasping, grasping it. Well, the pastor, the one who preaches, need to be able to stand there and bring it to light so that it can be understood, so that it can be grasped. Well, another thing that's important for the pastor here that is important for Paul is verse 10, what I talked about, is understanding the role of the church. It's important for those who bring the word of God to understand the role of the church and the task of the church, and not just the church in general, even though that is very important, but then also for individual believers, what their role is in the kingdom of God and serving God and to be able to teach that and to explain that. And that's what Paul talks about in verse 10, saying that so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Again, I teach you so that you go and do. I don't teach you so that you call Pastor Tim and ask me to do for you. Did you catch that? That's not my job. That's not 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 what I'm supposed to do. I teach you so that you go and do. You go love, you go minister, you go serve, you go care, you go do these things and you do them better than me, believe me. You do them better than me just as I believe, this might be a little cocky, I probably do this better than you. Just my guess. But this is what I've been called to, and you have what you've been called to. And so I have to understand that. My job as the pastor isn't to rule the church, isn't to be the church, isn't to be representative of a Monroe Missionary Baptist Church in this community. No, it's to teach you, and you go and do those things. Well, then the other thing, and this is where I get off the hook, I'm done getting on my case, we teach the word of God, but also we live transformed lives. God is doing this work through the church by teaching the gospel, but also then going out and living a transformed life in this world. Verse 10 says, the manifold wisdom of God is displayed through the church to those, notice, notice who are saying this gospel too, to those who wanna destroy it, to the rulers, to the powers who try to destroy Right, who try to destroy the things of the church. That's, that's who we are witnessing to, to the rulers and to the authorities and the heavenly places. We want them to know the truth and the only way that can be done is through the transformed life of a believer, through God's grace working in our lives. And so those rulers and those principalities who try to take over the throne, they see the mystery of God revealed in the church. And that's what we do. I can't say it enough, and I, I really want to say it more, I guess. The local church is so important. The local church is so vital because what, it is what God has established for his will to be known to the surrounding area. When the, when the people outside of these walls see us as this local church, they should see the grace of God being displayed in our lives and in our hearts. They should see that grace plays the key role in what is happening and what is taking place there because lives are being transformed. People who were once living in sin now are trying not to live in sin. And they're crediting it, crediting it all to this Jesus. And now they're, they're actually getting together with these other Christians and they're loving each other and they're caring for each other. And this just seems weird. This just seems odd. We say, no, this is just grace. It's grace being displayed It's the mystery of God being revealed to the world. What has been wrong with the world forever because of sin has been restored through Jesus. And you can be a part of that. That's the message that we have as the church and also as individual believers. Well, the last question this morning is what are the ramifications of this then? If all this is true, if God is restoring the world that is broken, if he is doing it through the apostles, he's doing it through the church of which we are a part What are the ramifications of this? Well, I think we have some good news. The first one we find in verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. What God has established here simply cannot be stopped because it has been eternally decreed. It is something that he has set forth through eternity that his mystery will be revealed and it cannot be stopped. This is good news. This is great news because even if you and I fail, God will not fail. Even if you and I fall short, God never falls short. His mission cannot be stopped. Many have and many will continue to try to stop the work of God. Rulers and authorities will sometimes hate God and they will want to take his place. This is going to happen. We see this again early in Genesis, like I said, with the Tower of Babel. Yet, This is not a war that they can win. When you watch the news or when you read whatever you read for news or whatever it is you do to get information, you might get the sense today that the rulers and authorities of this world are against God. You might catch on to that. Maybe you're astute enough to figure that out already. You see a lot of bad things going on in this world that are contrary to scripture. Take heart though this morning. Those people cannot stop God. <laughs> they can't stop him. They, they try. They try to stop the people of God. They try to stop a lot of things that the word of God might even teach. They might go against those things. But listen, do not lose heart in that because God has set forth an eternal decree before there ever was anything that he would not be stopped. The war is not for their, them to win. There's no battle that they can siege and say, We have the upper hand now. It doesn't work that way. God has already won. It has already been cried out that it is finished by his son on the cross, and it is finished. It is over. You might remember from Psalm chapter 2. In Psalm chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, which we'll actually be looking at again a little bit in the coming weeks because we're going to start a series on Psalms. This is what it says in Psalms 2 Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Maybe you feel that. I do. Maybe you sense that in our world. It seems like everybody is against God. But God's response in verse four is great. He who sits in the heavens laughs and the Lord holds them in derision. (laughs) You think you can touch me? You think for one second you can touch me? Now, I would have, maybe that's what God says. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not Him. I don't want to be Him. That's what I would say. You think you're going to do something? You think you're in some way, shape, or form going to, to stop what I have set forth from eternity? And we as a church need to realize that He can't be stopped. But also, we see in verse 12, he, not, not only that, He can't be stopped. But Paul says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So one of the ramifications of what God is doing and saving you is we have access to the Father through Christ. We can't be stopped, but we also have direct access to God. No matter where you are, no matter what time of day it is, you, because you are saved, because you have the mediator Jesus in your life, you have the privilege of entering into the Holy of Holies to speak to the Father to speak to the God who created all things. You have this privilege as a believer. If you're not a believer today, you do not hold that privilege. You cannot do that. I know a lot of people like to talk about prayer. I hear it all the time. We should pray for these people when something bad happens. You see it on TV, you see it from news anchors, you see it all over the place. If God is not your God, you don't have access. That's for the church. That's the ramifications of grace in your life. That is a privilege that you have as a believer, as one who's been saved by God's grace. You have the privilege to be able to go to the father and not just to go to him, but to know that he loves you and cares for you as he hears you and listens to you. He loves speaking to you. He loves when you speak to him and he cares for you. You're not an enemy of his. You're not at war with him. You are at peace with him. You have, your brokenness has been healed because of Christ and you get to go to him, and you get to speak to him. And this is the truth of boldness as well, which we see next. Paul says in verse 12 that we can have boldness, in whom we have boldness and access to the throne. All throughout the New Testament, when we see churches being talked about, we see boldness connected to it. Boldness needs to be a characteristic of a church. In Acts chapter four, verse 29 It says this, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. This is right after they've been busted out of jail and they pray, give us more boldness. I would think you had enough. It sent you to jail. (laughs) Good job. You did your part. You have a special place in heaven, maybe. I mean, you went to jail for Christ. They get out of jail and they say, give us boldness for you. It seems oftentimes in the New Testament church, they don't care too much about their safety, They don't seem to care too much about worldly things. They don't complain too much about what's happening maybe in the church. What they pray for often and almost always is boldness to share the gospel no matter what the situation. Boldness to be faithful to Christ no matter what situation they find themselves in. And today, we as a church need to be of the same mind. The ramifications of the gospel. If what God is doing and how he is doing it, if all this really is true, If all of history hangs on Jesus and Jesus and everything about him is true, what we've been talking about, then I need to have complete boldness to let people know this truth, no matter what might happen. Everything is all about Jesus, all the time, no matter what might happen to me here. No matter what the ramifications of the world are, I don't care because I know the ramifications of what God has laid in my life. And so then, lastly, Paul ends in verse 13, encouraging this church. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. I really can't think of a better word for the church today. Not just our church, but other churches as well, the church in general. Do not lose heart. Too many of us lose heart all the time, we live in a state of defeat constantly when it comes to the things of this world. We wake up dreading the day because we're already defeated. Something didn't work at home. The coffee pot didn't turn on. I'm out of coffee. Whatever it is with coffee that you coffee people do, your day's over. It's completed. It's an end. And so we walk around that way. For me, it's hearing the news. I hate listening to the news in the morning and I do it every day. I don't know why, but it's complete defeat. Every morning, already And so then you walk around or maybe you look at your calendar and you see what you have to do and it's defeat. Uh, Again, a confession. I met with our pastors before service and I said, guys, this week is going to stink. We got so much to do this week. I mean, we're just going to keep going and going. I don't see an end in sight for about six weeks. And they're like, I'm kind of excited about it. I'm like, well, you're naive. This is going to be tough. You're crazy. But it's so easy to live in defeat and we struggle with that. And the problem is, when we live that way, our hope isn't in God, it's in the things of this world. And that's where I see myself slipping often. I don't know if you feel that way. I feel myself slipping into caring more about the things of this world. And that's when I start to feel defeated because my world isn't perfect. My grass isn't mowed how it should be. The things around the house aren't all set straight. The things at church aren't perfect. I haven't been here. I haven't called this person. I haven't done this. And so it starts to get heavy. And you start to lose heart. But when you read passages like this and you have Paul reminding you, what is your hope in? Because if your hope is in God, as in in Christ, don't lose heart. That hasn't changed. Nothing about that has changed for a second. Our history, our future, our present at this very moment, we should not focus on the secular side of history for those things. Because when we do, we get crushed. We get crushed. But when we look at the past, when we look at the present, and we look at the future, in light of this book, we don't lose heart. Because we know we've won. And we've won through him. This country might go to the pot. It might not be around in 100 years, 10 years, 15 years, whatever you might think. It might not be. But the kingdom of God will still be here the gospel will still be going forward. The church will still remain. And we will still be able to proclaim as a church, the Lord is good in all things. I know I'm in jail right now. I know it looks very bleak. I know I'm the one who started this whole thing and I told you all about the gospel and here I am in jail and it looks like it's over. But don't lose heart. This isn't about me, Paul would say. It's about him. And I'm amazed by his grace as I sit in this prison and you should be amazed by his grace as you sit in this church. Norman missionary Baptist church, it's the same for us. Let us remember that he has won. Let us remember that Jesus has conquered and he has saved us and he has brought us near by his precious blood, which they can't push back into his body. It has been spilt for you and it has been spilt For me. And because of that, we are victorious in Him. And we can go forward and not lose heart, but be confident of His grace and His goodness. Let's bow together and let's pray this morning. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for Ephesians. I thank you that you revealed this to Paul and that he penned it and that he was faithful to that. I'm thankful that your grace is sufficient for even the worst of sinners. I'm thankful that you unite us as Christians, not in things that we like, not in just because we live here, but you unite us in Christ, in him. And that is what our hope is in. And so God, I pray for those this morning who might be discouraged, who might be downtrodden, God, I pray that they would hear the word that Paul said to this church, do not lose heart. If all of this stuff about Jesus is real, if all of this stuff about God and creation and and then sin happening, but then God restoring it through Christ, if all of this is real, there's no need to lose heart. God, I thank you that you're a good father. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you've saved us and that you do hear us when we call out to you. I am thankful of all the scripture and passages that promise us the blessings that you give us and you, you do over and over and over again. But God, so often our minds are fickle and we're weak and we fail to forget about all the good things and we focus on the, the difficulties and we start to lose heart. God, help us not to do that strengthen us like it says and strengthen those weak knees and those arms that hang down. God, help us to pick them up, focusing on Jesus, the one who died for us. God, help us to be faithful all the way to the end, whatever that might be for each one of us, to be faithful to the gospel message each day, to be sharing that with others and to be united together as this church, honoring you and loving you. God, as we sing this song now, I pray that we would worship you in it. But God, also, it gives us a time to respond to your word and what we've heard. And so God, work in our lives now. Help us to meditate on what we've heard. And I pray that we'd respond to it appropriately, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing together. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.